Hey, Christian, you're forgiven. Deal with it. I heard Steve Brown say that once. If you don't know Steve Brown, he's a part of Key Life Ministries. Uh, great, man. Listen to him and you'll be set free. If you're trusting in Christ alone, you're forgiven. So just deal with it. I don't care if you don't feel forgiven. I don't care what you did last week. If your hope is in the finished work of Christ, then you're forgiven. It is finished. And you should be happy. And that's what David is getting at in Psalm 32. So turn there in your Bibles. This is the good news that we cherish here at Grace. It's what people miss about our church, the love, the fellowship, and the gospel culture, the DNA. This is what we are about here at Grace. This is our bread and butter. This is the one thing that we want to be known for, that God loves and forgives sinners. And there's no better news than that, right? If you haven't figured this out yet, it just doesn't get old to me. It doesn't. I love it. I love the gospel. Okay, Psalm 32. Let's soak up the gospel together. Look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom Yahweh counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So you get the flavor here. David is full of joy in this psalm. He's beaming, he's thrilled, he's on cloud nine. And the reason David is all of these things is because his sins are forgiven. He's happy because sin is so defeating, isn't it? It's sin is, is paralyzing. Its tentacles spread far and wide. It eats us up. It kills us. And it kills us and it eats us up because of its nature. It's destructive. So David uses four words here to describe sin. And when you understand them, you know why David is full of joy in Psalm 32. It's because God has forgiven all the evil that is inside his heart. And it is evil. So let's look briefly at these Hebrew words that David uses to describe his and our sin. First, he says, transgression. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. This Hebrew word has the idea of rebellion. It is a a refusal to submit to authority. It's kind of this open and defiant rebellion. This is willful sin. This is knowing that you are sinning. And rebelling against God and just doing it anyway. Just because you want it bad enough. It's not looking too good for us, is it? Then David uses the word sin. Blessed is the one whose sin is covered. This word is used about 600 times in the Old Testament. It's the most common word for sin. Has the idea of missing the mark. It's falling short of God's standard. Falling short of his glory, which is perfection. It's a failure. A failure to be good. A failure to be holy. It's falling short of God's law. Then David uses the word iniquity. Blessed is the one or the man against whom the, the Lord counts no iniquity. This word has the idea of something being bent or broken, twisted, perverted, distorted. 
And that's us. We are bent and broken and twisted, perverted and destroyed, distorted. I told you it's not looking good for us, but this is us. And then he uses the word deceit. Blessed is the one in whose spirit there is no deceit. This is hiding sin and kind of making excuses for it and being deceptive. It's, it's covering up our sin and trying to give the impression that we have it all together. And we've all done this, right? So David piles up these four Hebrew words to paint the picture of fallen humanity, to paint the picture of the human heart, and to paint the picture of himself. David has actively rebelled against the Lord. David has fallen short of God's holy standard. David has thought and done and said perverted, twisted things. And David has tried desperately to cover it all up, to hide it. And so have I. And so have you. This isn't just David's autobiography here in Psalm 32. This is all of us. However, and this is the big however, okay? However, it's important to notice that David is not detailing the corruption of his heart and by default detailing the corruption of our hearts. He's not doing that in order to make us feel bad. He brings up all of this sin business So that we would have joy. That's the idea behind the Hebrew word blessed. It's the Hebrew word for happiness, joy. So David isn't using all of these words for sin so that preachers can seem really smart because they know all the Hebrew words for sin. David uses all of these words so that we will rejoice that we are forgiven of all of these sins. He uses these words so that we would rejoice that Jesus cannot remember our sins, cannot remember all the bad stuff that we think and we say and that we do. And that's the idea behind the Hebrew words that he uses here, forgiven and covered. Forgiven is the word nasah, which means to lift up, to lift off, to, to carry away. So our, David is saying our sin is completely lifted off of us and taken away. Poof, it's gone. And along with it, the guilt and the shame that accompany it. In God's eyes, poof, it's gone. And then he uses the word covered, which means hidden. Our, our, our sin is concealed. It's out of sight from God. And therefore, it no longer has the power to cause guilt or fear. Old Testament scholar Alan Ross says, When God forgives sin, the sin is removed. God will never bring it up again, not in this life, nor the world to come. Wow. Christian, listen to me. Jesus will never bring your sin up again, ever. That's what David is saying here. When you stand before God on that final day, Jesus ain't bringing up your sin. Isn't that good news? Martin Luther said only the devil brings up forgiven sin. So Jesus is not bringing up your sins when he sees you. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. So if your sins are being brought up by Jesus on the last day, when you stand before him, then that's not good news, is it? Now, of course, the Bible does teach that God will judge all humanity. 
Everyone will stand before him and give an account of their life. And the hearts of all unbelievers will be laid bare on that final day. But for the Christian, it will be a day of good news. It will be good news because Jesus is not playing a movie of our lives for the whole world to see. Aren't you glad? The sins of the ungodly will be remembered afresh, but ours ours are gone. Poof. In fact, believers will actually be comforted on that day. Can you imagine that? Is that what you think of when you stand when you think of standing before God that you will be comforted? You should. Yep, because you will. You will be comforted because you will see Jesus. I will be comforted. We will be comforted because we will see Jesus, our great, merciful, faithful high priest. And so the day of judgment will be a day of rejoicing because he has redeemed us from all of our iniquities. Our judgment day happened 2,000 years ago at the cross. That was your judgment day. That's when you were condemned for your sin. That's when you were judged. You're free. It's smooth sailing now, isn't it? So is Jesus bringing up your sins when you stand before him, Christian? No. Thank God, no. Is he playing a movie of your life for all to see? No. Thank God. Think about this. What a terrible way to start eternity. Here's a movie of your life. Pass the popcorn. Enter into the joy of the Lord. After that, I want to go hide. Can I hide away for 10,000 years? Like Newton's saying, when we've been there for 10,000 years, I suddenly emerged because of the movie of my life that was played for everyone to see. What a terrible way to start eternity. Who wants to have a movie of their life shown for everyone to see? Who wants to have all of your words, all of your thoughts, all of your actions, and all of your secret motives put on display for everyone to see and to know? Not me. That's not gospel. That's not good news. So we will not experience the embarrassment of judgment. We will not have a shame-filled movie of our sinful lives played before us as we stand before God. That, that's the gospel is that that won't happen. And it's good news because I have done and said and thought some pretty wicked, evil things in my life. I have said some things that I'm so embarrassed of. I've done things that I'm embarrassed and ashamed of. I've said, thought, done so, so, so many things that I am flat out ashamed apart from Christ. Awful things, embarrassing. And if I told them to you, you wouldn't want to be my friend. You'd block me on social media. You'd cancel me. And I wouldn't blame you at all. But the good news of the gospel is that that record of mine is gone. Poof. It's gone because I am in union with Jesus Christ by faith. The Spirit has united me to the Son of God. And he has declared me clean. And that is true of you if you are in union with Christ. All of the awful, embarrassing things that you have done, that you are ashamed of, if you trust in Jesus, they are erased from your file. And no computer forensic scientist can dig up anything on you because it's gone. 
The hard drive has been wiped clean. The internet history of your entire sinful life is erased. And now when God sees you, he sees his son, Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? That's why David is saying, blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Because the hard uh, drive has been wiped clean. Horatius Bonar, a very dead Scottish pastor, said, It is with our sins that we go to God, for we have nothing else to go with that we can call our own. All that we can bring to God that we can call our own is our sin. That's it. And Jesus receives it, and he declares us clean, declares us righteous. Through his work on the cross, through his wounds, Isaiah says, we are healed, we are made whole, meaning we're made right with God, we're justified, we're declared righteous in God's eyes because Jesus died in our place as our substitute, as our Savior, as our Redeemer. And when we trust in the perfect life, death, resurrection, ascension, and soon return of Jesus, we will experience no shame because the shame and the guilt of our sins no longer have hold and power over our lives. As Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we'll never be put to shame. God will never come to us and say, shame, shame. Shame on you for what you have done. I can't believe you did that. Shame on you. God will never say that to us because of Jesus. God actually said that, if you will. He said that to Jesus on the cross. If you will, the Father said, shame. Shame on you for what you have done. I can't believe you did it. Shame on you. Receive your just punishment. But God will never say that to us because of Jesus. Because the great exchange has taken place at the cross. Our sin for his righteousness. And that means that when we stand before God one day, he will not shame us then. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner says, what is true of Christ is also true of his people. They will not experience the embarrassment of judgment, but the glory of approval. The phrase will never be ashamed, therefore, is another way of saying they will be honored. Wow. Is that your idea of the final judgment day, that you will be honored because you are in Christ? We've got to shift our thinking here. We will not experience the embarrassment of judgment. We will not have a movie of our sinful lives played for everyone to see. We will be honored as those redeemed by and in union with Christ. That means, Christian, you're forgiven. Deal with it, okay? You just have to deal with it. You're forgiven. Psalm 32 is in the Bible so that you would rejoice and be glad, so that you would shout for joy. Happy is the man or woman whose sin is washed away, forgiven, and thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. Psalm 32 is in the Bible so that you would know just how awful and hideous and grotesque and putrid and distorted and twisted and ugly and monstrous and evil and rebellious your sin is against a holy, loving God. And that you would then rejoice and be glad and shout for joy. That Jesus forgives your awful and hideous and grotesque and putrid and distorted and twisted and ugly and monstrous and evil, rebellious thoughts, words, actions, and motives. 
you might want to be flabbergasted afresh by that truth this morning. I don't know if you watch MMA. There was a great fight last night. I don't want to spoil it, but uh, usually the commentators, when some great knockout or something happens, Joe Rogan and others, John Anik, you'll see, and Daniel Cormier, they'll just be like, <gasps> they're just looking around. That's how you're supposed to act when you read Psalm 32. You're supposed to be like, <gasps> and look around and say, I can't believe it. I can't believe that God forgives me. You should be flabbergasted by that truth this morning. I mean, how crazy are those verses? Listen again. Happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We aren't as shocked by these verses as we should be. We should get up every morning and just be shocked by this. I can't believe it. i got to call somebody. It's four in the morning, but i got to call somebody. God forgives sinners because of Jesus. God forgives us. That's amazing. I hope that never becomes old to you. That's why David said, David says, blessed is, blessed is, happy is, happy is. The forgiveness of sins is the greatest thing in the world. To be forgiven, well, there's just nothing better. Grace is supposed to stagger us. Maybe it doesn't because we don't really believe that we are as bad as we are. And we don't really believe that God is as holy as he is. The problem is that we're usually more bothered by other people's sins than we are our own, or at least I am. Now think about that. Too often, we are angry and upset and screaming and yelling at others about their sin when we should be doing that with our own sin. When you come to grips with just how bad you are, how rebellious you are against an infinitely glorious God, and then you get the memo that says that he forgives you, it will make you say along with David, blessed is, happy is. However, there was actually a time in David's life when he wasn't this happy. There was a time when David hid his sin Or at least he tried to. And what David discovered is that the Holy Spirit has a way of making us miserable when we try to hide our sin. You can call it the Holy Spirit headlock if you want. And it will make you cry, uncle. And just ask David. Look at verse 3. For when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, we don't know what sin it was that was weighing David down. Scholars and preachers like to speculate, but that's all it is, speculation. And that's not the point of Psalm 32 anyway. It could be David's murder of Uriah and then David's rape and abuse of Uriah's wife Bathsheba. Or it could just be some bitterness that he's hiding. Maybe he doesn't want to forgive someone and it's eating him up. We don't know. The point isn't what particular sin it was that caused David to write Psalm 32 
Because that doesn't matter. It could be any sin. The point is that when we try to hide and cover up and make excuses for any sin, the Holy Spirit has a way of putting pressure on us until we cry, uncle. Let me say that again a little slower. When we try to hide and cover up and make excuses for any sin, the Holy Spirit has a way of putting pressure on us until we cry, uncle. Now, let me say one thing first before we unpack this. The Holy Spirit can and will put pressure on us to repent and confess our sin when we are hiding it, being deceptive, you know, not letting anybody know, not coming clean about it. And if we refuse him and if we stiff arm him and we keep doing what we're doing, just pushing him away, not responding to his pressure, not responding to his heavy hand, not responding to his conviction. If we do that, keep pushing him away, we can end up with hardened hearts that are no longer soft to him. Listen, you don't want to end up there. We all probably know someone, a Christian, who used to love the Lord. And then they began hiding sin that they knew was wrong and they knew it was sin. They started making excuses, covering things up, refusing to repent. And their hearts got so hardened that they began to drift from the Lord. Pray that you never do that. Respond to the Holy Spirit's pressure. Respond to his heavy hand upon you. And find freedom and forgiveness and life. Because that's not living. So here's what happened as David hid his sin. His bones wasted away. He was groaning. It took a very physical toll on him. God's hand was heavy on David, pressure pushing him down, making him uncomfortable, pushing in, pressing on the bruise, conviction. And David says his strength was dried up like something withering in the Texas summer heat. So there was an actual physical connection with his hiding sin, with his deception. It was killing him. And sin will kill us when we try to hide and try to cover it up. Understand this. Hiding your sin hurts your soul. Hiding your sin hurts your soul. You will be the one who pays. I will be the one who pays. You will be the one who loses strength. You will be the one who might actually age faster because of and deteriorate because of your sin. I've seen that with people. Physically, I've seen people's bodies and faces transform before my eyes because they held on to their sin and they just aged quicker. You've probably seen it too. It's a very physical toll that hiding our sin can take on our bodies. Listen, you can't beat the Holy Spirit in a wrestling match. Okay, If you want to be dumb enough to try to put on the wrestling spandex, the tights, and lace up your wrestling boots and try to go toe-to-toe with the Holy Spirit in some sort kind of like WWE professional wrestling match, listen, you will not win. I will not win, even though we do it at times. You will end up on your back. You will end up with your heart being put in a Holy Spirit headlock. Ralph Davis says, 
So the Lord may pray on your conscience day and night if need be. He may not flinch to use the most extreme and painful measures. God is so good to you that he refuses to allow you to be comfortable and happy in sin. There is a mercy in the misery. And so the purpose of David saying in verse 4, your hand was heavy upon me, is to get us to the, I will confess my transgressions, you forgave the iniquity of my sin in verse 5. The heavy hand and the hot, dry summer heat that we experience when our souls are, when we're hiding things, all of that heavy hand and dry summer heat is supposed to lead us to confession, to repentance. And so the heavy hand of the Lord on our lives when we are hiding our sin and concealing it, it is a kindness from the Lord. It is a grace. It is his love. So let me ask you this morning, are you hiding any sin today? Are you covering up anything in your life? And you know deep down, you need to confess and come clean. I mean, statistically, there has to be someone here who is doing what David describes in Psalm 32. Hiding things, covering things up, being deceptive. And you feel his hand heavy on you and you're wasting away and your body is experiencing problems and your soul is drying up in the heat. Listen, please don't resist the Holy Spirit today. Find healing and forgiveness by coming clean with Jesus and then coming clean with others. Listen, you're safe to do that here at Grace, by the way. This is a safe place. So Jesus is talking to you right now in this sermon from Psalm 32. Come clean, confess, and repent. Because the Holy Spirit headlock that you are experiencing right now is a grace. It's Jesus being good to you. He will not let you get cozy with sin. And so there is a mercy in the misery that the Holy Spirit brings upon you in order to bring you back home. And the Holy Spirit may say to you, while he's squeezing your heart so tightly and putting pressure on the bruise of your sin, he may say to you, you're forgiven. Deal with it. Meaning, in other words, the Holy Spirit comes to those who are forgiven of their sins, but who are just too cozy with their sins, and he puts pressure on you so that you'll deal with it, so that you'll deal with your sin. Psalm 32 is the Holy Spirit saying to you and me today, you're forgiven. Deal with your sin. You need to deal with your sin today. And that's exactly what David did. Look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to Yahweh, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And so David finally cracks under the pressure. He comes clean. He confesses his sin. He uncovers his iniquity. He brings it out into the light. That's where, that's where sin needs to be. Sin thrives in the darkness. Sin thrives when it's, when it's being hidden. Sin dies when you drag it kicking and screaming into the light of the gospel. And that's what David does here. 
He actually verbalizes it to the Lord. He talks to Yahweh about the most embarrassing things about him. He confesses his sin and rebellion. Think about this. The church is the place that confesses sin. No other institution or business or organization regularly practices the confession of sin. Now, sure, when some politician or athlete or actor is caught red-handed, they might eke out some sort of halfway confession. You know, you've heard them. But this is what we do as the people of God. Every week, every day, we confess, we repent. It's one of the hallmarks of the Christian life, the Christian faith. We come clean. We spill the beans. We drag all of our skeletons out of the closet. Not exactly an activity that will draw people into church, right? But this is what we do, and it's a good thing. It's a healing thing. Ian Duguid, an Old Testament professor, says, The purpose of confessing our sins is not to render us miserable by simply reminding us what great sinners we are. It is to remind us of what a great Savior we are. And then Joe Thorne, who's a pastor, says, Confessing your sins is not beating yourself up over all your wrongs. It is an aspect of spiritual warfare that deals a deadly blow to your sins by laying them out before God with an aim at seeing Jesus exalted above them all. That's the point of confession. It's to get Jesus to remind us of what a great Savior we have. It's spiritual warfare. Have you ever thought of that? I hadn't until I read this quote this week, and I thought, oh, that's interesting thought. It's spiritual warfare to come clean and confess because it exalts Jesus as your great Savior above your sin. Listen, only good things happen when we confess. Only good things happen when we repent. I'm not saying there's not going to be consequences and things you have to work through, but good things happen. Good things don't happen when we hide. Confession is the way home. Repentance is the way home. Not hopping on the treadmill and try to earn God's favor. Not sweating it out to, to, to get his grace. I've said this before, but it bears repeating Owning up to your sin and selfishness doesn't seem like on the surface it would be a good thing, right? Own up to your embarrassing stuff and tell God and tell others about it. But it is a good thing because you get Jesus. Because repentance connects you once again with Jesus, your first love. And so, yes, on the surface, repentance does seem like it would be like eating a meal of liver and sauerkraut. And drinking prune juice and then getting to suck on a lemon for dessert. Who signs up for that meal? No thanks. But that's how many of us review, view repentance and confession and coming clean. But repentance is actually comforting. It's joyful. That's Psalm 32's big idea is that repentance is joyful. It's just, just collapsing into the arms of your Savior again. 
holding on to your sin, loving it so much, refusing to admit you've done wrong, refusing to admit that you've made mistakes, just like what David does here in Psalm 32, that is actually the equivalent of eating liver and sauerkraut and drinking prune juice and then sucking on a lemon for dessert. And that's an awful place to be. Just ask David. But please get this. This is important. Don't seek repentance. Don't seek confession. Seek Jesus first and then repentance will follow. Seek Jesus first and then confession will follow. Start with Christ crucified for your sins. Start with Jesus, not repentance. Start with Jesus and then conviction and confession will follow and joy will follow and awe of Jesus and his wonderful love for us will then follow. Well, next David shows us that there is joy not only because God forgives our sins but also because he is our bodyguard and he protects and he guides us. Look at verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle or else not stay near you. Scholars debate on who begins speaking in verse 6. And then on, is it Yahweh? Is it David? It could be either. I lean towards David and maybe a little bit of the Lord in there as well. Uh, Here's why I think it's David talking, because he's telling the nation of Israel, as a man who stupidly hid his sin and then confessed and then found freedom and joy and happiness again, he's telling the nation of Israel, don't do what I did. Don't be a mule. Don't be stubborn. So who better to take instructions from than the guy who hid his sin, suffered miserably, then came clean and spilled the beans, and then found joy. So David tells his fellow Israelites that Yahweh can be counted on. He will protect his people, be a refuge for them from the storm. He will preserve them, surround them with shouts of deliverance. This is what the God who forgives sinners does for his people. He doesn't just forgive us and then move to another city. He forgives us and then he's actively involved in our lives. Instructs us, teaches us, guides us, counsels us. He keeps his eye on us. He's this forgiving God, but he's also this, hear our prayers, protect us, preserve us, lead and guide us, keep his eye on us kind of God. And so you can sing and be happy today, Christian. You can sing and be free because his eye is watching over you. And that's why we shouldn't be like a mule. That's why we shouldn't be stubborn. David was stubborn. He refused to repent. He hid his sin. He was being an idiot when he did it. But now he knows the freedom of walking in repentance. No more being a thick-headed mule. David has moved from emaciated, body wasting away to jumping up and down and shouting for joy. Look at verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in Yahweh. Be glad in Yahweh and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Here's what David's saying. The life of someone who does not trust in Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, will live a life of true sorrow. But 
God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love surrounds the one who trusts in Jesus. And so I think it's clear which person to be here, sorrow or shouts of joy. That's why we can do what David says here. Be glad, rejoice, shout for joy. Why? David says because we are made upright in heart through the gospel. That's why we can be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. Because Jesus loves and forgives sinners. Because he has made them clean through his blood. Jerry Bridges says, It is not our contrition or sorrow for sin. It is not our repentance. It is not even the passing of a certain number of hours during which we feel we are on some kind of probation that cleanses us. It is the blood of Christ shed once for all on Calvary 2,000 years ago, but appropriated daily or even many times a day that cleanses our consciences and gives us a renewed sense of peace with God. It is not our contrition for our sin that makes us clean. It's not our sorrow for sin that does it. It is not waiting for a few hours and then maybe God will forgive me. You ever do that? You wait a few hours? To approach God and ask for forgiveness, you know, like as he'll cool down and then maybe his mercy will heat up. I'll just wait a few hours before I ask for forgiveness. Maybe he'll be cooled down by then. Wrong. That's not the gospel. Listen, we're not on probation. We've not been put in a timeout. We don't have to wait a few hours. Our repentance does not cleanse us. Our sorrow for sin doesn't do it. Only one thing does, and that is the blood of Jesus. Jesus came to wash you with his blood, to cleanse you, to welcome you, to love you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're a rebel and you're a mess and you are dirty and you are stained with sin and you need to be washed and cleansed. Will you repent? That just means turn. Will you turn to Jesus today and believe and trust in him? Come to Jesus. He will have you. He specializes in saving the worst and then making them new. But for those who are here today who are already trusting in Jesus, you are perfectly accepted in Christ. You have his righteousness. You are clean. And so here's your homework today, Grace, okay? I'm going to send you home with homework today. Go enjoy your forgiveness, okay? I mean, really enjoy it. If you go out to eat lunch today, get a dessert. Say, why not? We're forgiven, Let's get pie. Let your kids drink Coke or Sprite today, not water. Go crazy and tell the waiter, we're celebrating today. Oh, a birthday, an anniversary? No, we're celebrating that we're forgiven. It's so wonderful. So we're getting pie. Make it two. I mean, go enjoy your forgiveness. I mean, really enjoy it. And then I want you to do this. I want you to defy the devil because he always reminds you of your sin, right? So why don't you just pester him back today? Steve Brown said, you're forgiven, deal with it. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've hurt. I don't care the list of your sins. You're forgiven. That's the gospel. I mean, if you want to put the gospel in the shortest possible presentation, that's it. You're forgiven, really forgiven. God doesn't even remember your sin. He is not a child abuser. You are forgiven. We are so driven by our guilt and Satan has a field day with it and we need to learn to say to him often, hey, I'm forgiven. You leave me alone. 
I don't belong to you anymore. I'm forgiven not only for yesterday, that goes without saying, but for today and for anything I do wrong in the future because I'm the king's son, deal with it. Christian, Jesus loves you, but don't let it go to your head. Actually, let it go to your head, okay? That's what I want you to do. Jesus loves you and forgives you. Let that truth go to your head and then defy the devil and tell him, Jesus loves me, he forgives me. Deal with it, Satan. That's how you enjoy your forgiveness. You're forgiven. Deal with it. Let's take that good news to the Central Coast, shall we? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your kindness, your mercy, your grace. We don't deserve it. We don't understand it. How can a holy God forgive sin? It's only because of you, Jesus, because of your perfect life, death, resurrection. So we bring our sin to you this morning and we confess so much, Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who pardons iniquity. Who is a God like this, the prophet Micah said. We are so glad that we belong to you now, Jesus, and that you welcome us with open arms. Help us to share this good news with others, Lord, so that they may experience the joy that we experience and so that they may come to know you. Be honored and be glorified in this church. May the gospel be our main message and then may you get great glory because it is our main message. In your name we pray, amen.